What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, a cold day in hell. The Canucks pull off a mini-sweep of the Leafs Why creating soft narratives in our heads pulls us away from the concrete concept of value. The rematch in Tampa, while one-sided, shows just how evenly matched those teams are. A bad beat on a puck-line favorite? Thoughts and prayers to Penguins backers on Tuesday night. Then it's a look ahead to a pair of games on Wednesday while we're getting that feeling of deja vu in Edmonton and a curious case of pricing between the Predators and Blackhawks. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Snowy day here in Toronto, which is appropriate for the local fan base. And now you're saying, what? Snow? Yeah, that's what I was saying when I woke up this morning as well. It's the only place in North America here in Toronto that has never reopened things like restaurants. And I know, obviously, whether you're in Canada or the United States, various degrees of reopenings over the course of the last 12 months, we have literally never reopened restaurants. And we're sitting here in the midst of another stay-at-home order here uh, until mid-May. The vaccines are coming out at an incredibly slow rate. And there's a province-wide ban of golf. Yeah, If you haven't heard, if you're in the United States and you didn't know this, Ontario uh, ridiculously has uh, has banned golf. We referred to it a little bit yesterday um, with Ted Ballantyne. By the way, uh, fun chat with Ted Ballantyne about the Super League. Maybe the quickest uh, a segment in this podcast has ever been obsolete. I think I've at one point given out a play for a game that happened in the afternoon and you know we didn't get the podcast published until like a half hour before and I had to tweet out the pick. I think that in this case, uh, immediately upon publishing the podcast, the news started rolling in that teams in the Super League were bailing out. But now it's snowing here in late April because sure, of course it is. And again, if you're from the United States and you don't really, you know, you sort of have the... Um, wrong opinion of Canada as being this incredibly cold, you know, whatever type place. Uh, No, late April snow is not uh, is not a thing in southern Ontario uh, or the greater Toronto region. And so we got some snow on the ground here. And then finally, the local sports team is an embarrassment, which, uh, of course, brings us to as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Yes, thank you very much, Laszlo. It was just a half unit bet, but we have to move the Leafs-Canucks game to the lead after last night. And, you know, the line, as predicted, gets up over minus 300, right? Money pouring in on the Leafs, minus one and a half. You know, it was available at minus 115. That's where we got up at, you know, at minus 130, uh, sort of more of a prominent pricing. So hopefully you avoided this game altogether. And, you know... Talk about it being embarrassing, and I really think, you know, I talked yesterday about the game on Sunday being embarrassing, and I really think it was more embarrassing yesterday than it was on Sunday, and, you know, part of the reason is because of what we talked about yesterday. Like, we now have information. We now know, you know, what 
lineup the Canucks had and you know how many defensemen how many NHL defensemen for example that they had ready um was their number one goalie available to them in Thatcher Demko no uh you know obviously Braden Holtby played the game of his life on Sunday played another really good game yesterday but at least we had information that you know at least the Leafs had information right they would have known okay this is what we can expect this team isn't, you know, just going to start coughing and, you know, tripping over the blue line, you know, with exhaustion. And so when we're looking and talking about embarrassing, like, sure, we've had other games, we've had bigger upsets this season, where, you know, I believe the Avalanche at minus 400, something like that, um, have lost a game. And so, you know, you had the Sabres, who had lost a billion games in a row, and even then, you know, they won a game finally, but even that was as a plus 170, something like that uh, type of an underdog. And so, you know, it's not the biggest upset, but it really is, I think, the most embarrassing loss of the season for all the reasons that, you know, are, are, are quite clearly there. And so, um, you know, because at least honestly, the least amount of people thought that they could win this game. And so even when you have a massive upset, like I said, maybe in the West where one of the, you know, poor California teams knocks off, you know, Colorado, you're still looking at that game going like, well, at least that, you know, the quote unquote bad team, the underdog, have all of their guys, at least they are fully healthy, at least they're not coming off of this, uh, you know, this virus. And so no one believes that the Canucks can win the game on Sunday. And then you go, okay, well, they're not gonna win both of these games. And you know, listen, I was right there with it. And of course, they don't. Now, Toronto will use the excuse of David Riddick, and it's just this guy that they, you know, picked up because Frederick Anderson's hurt and they have to play him, and he gives up these goals or whatever. But David Riddick also backstopped the Flames to a win over Calgary, you know, a few weeks ago, about a month or so ago, right? Where he was the, uh, you know, stand on your head type of a guy. So which version is it? And the point is, is that he doesn't just stink, and this isn't blame a David Riddick type situation, in the same way that, you know, if you blame him for the loss, you now have to sort of blame yourself for being stopped by David Riddick three or four weeks ago. Um, And fundamentally, I think this just comes down to the short-term drinking of the Kool-Aid here, right? And that's the uh, big lesson to take away. And whether it's being obsessed with the new goaltender, Jack Campbell, right? Obviously, we've soured now on Jack Campbell here as a society. And David Riddick is now to blame. And now, all of a sudden, Frederick Anderson's looking a lot better, right? Like, that's the big picture element here to the Leafs. Whereas from us, from a handicapping standpoint, you know, the lesson here is the same lesson that we come to all the time. And that's what's that's why it's a lesson because it's a thing that we find really difficult to get away from. And that's creating these narratives, right? And creating these narratives and these quote-unquote handicaps, right? And you see people, and again, I point to other shows, I point to people on Twitter, online, etc., right? And they're creating these handicaps that aren't really handicaps, right? And we talk about it too here with scheduling issues, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when it comes to games tonight. But we talk and we create these narratives and and sort of try to pass them off as handicaps. And there's a difference between a narrative and a handicap. And, you know, the lesson here is like, if we're going to just use these narratives and not use numbers and valuations, and I always say it, right, immediately when you start pricing something, when, you know, the market is creating a value for it, then math has to be in play. And so we can try to make up, and that's why we've been trying to figure out, okay, schedule spot, is it a 2% 
win probability increase 5% like how does the market feel about it how do we feel about it because fundamentally it's going to come down to you know I'm making this bet because this is how I feel about something but if we create these sort of soft narratives of okay like they're going to be tired and blah 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 without sort of using any you know specific statistical backing for any of that it just falls apart and so it just sort of supports here that relying solely on the model here would have us betting on Vancouver in both of these games, right? Because the model doesn't care about COVID-19, right? The model doesn't care that the Canucks were off for 24 days or whatever it was. They don't care. And we'd be up six units, over six units, over the course of these two games with just simple one-unit bets on the money line with Vancouver. Now, that those would be incredibly uncomfortable bets, right? But in this case, the black and white numbers of valuing these teams, and again, Toronto has played better than Vancouver in both of these games. And so this isn't, you know, again, this isn't, okay, Vancouver's better than Toronto, Toronto sucks, blah, 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 blah. The embarrassment isn't in the way necessarily that they played. It's in the way that they weren't able to take advantage of a team that, you know, yes, bare minimum, they should have 55% of the expected goals for, right? The point is, is that against this team, against this version of this team, they should have 70% of the expected goals for, or at least the pricing in the marketplace is demanding that they get 75% of the expected goals for, that their win probability at the end of the day ends up being over 75% because that's what's justifying the price. And that's the whole point. If this game was just a pick them, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But when you're laying that type of a price, and again, whether it's the money line or whether it's the puck line, or whether it's the in regulation, right? We all sort of, you know, it all sort of attaches into one thing. And if you think you're getting a deal by taking minus one and a half at minus 120, because it's not minus 320, and it's just one extra goal, you know, again, you're not. All of these things are tied together. And so if you're going to rely on the model, you have to take the good with the bad. You have to be willing to lose because part of learning about sports betting is acknowledging that we all think we know, right? We've been playing sports our whole lives. Like we know line combinations and power play and all of this sort of stuff, but we don't, we don't, right? There's a humility to this. And so when something like this happens, you know, there's also a psychology to it. We think you know, because we thought we all knew, right? We all agreed upon this, that, you know, there was no way the Leafs could lose a second game to the Canucks in this circumstance. And so we all take solace in saying that everyone was wrong, right? It wasn't just me that was wrong. It was everybody that was wrong. We were all wrong. We're all the dummies. We were all fooled. As if that matters at all to the bottom line, right? We talk about it with regards to lucky wins and lucky losses and overtime shootout wins and all of that stuff. At the end of the day, you know, we're not going to get that bet refunded to us. Again, just a half unit, nothing crazy, but we're not going to get that bet refunded to us because we all got it wrong. In fact, that's how sports books make their money. And that's what's creating the value. And so when you see that everybody is onto this thing, and it's tricky because we come onto this you know podcast in the morning and I don't get influenced by, you know, what everybody else is sort of talking about. But in a lot of times, that type of thing, you know, would be beneficial to know, right, that everybody is on this Toronto minus one and a half, there's no way they can lose type of a thing, right? And when everybody piles into one side, that's what creates value. That's why we see this number move from minus, what, 270 up through minus 300, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so on the flip side, 
you make these bets and you just hope for the best and it's out of your control. But on that other side of things, you do the same thing with a team like the Detroit Red Wings. So, you know, the Detroit Red Wings, you bet them plus 200, plus 210, whatever, and you hope for the best. And, you know, they don't win. And now you're the idiot who bet on the worst team, right? I talked last week about the guy who handicapped the game by saying Dallas is the much better team. Like, yeah, we know that, right? But to what degree? So, you know, sure, Toronto could have won that game yesterday and we'd be sitting there going like, oh, you bet on the Canucks? Like, what an idiot, right? Because that happens, you know, in a vacuum, in a one-game situation. And we don't get to see it over the course of time, understanding that, again, even if the Leafs had hang, hung on to that 3-2 lead, whether they get an empty net goal at the end, whether they stretch that lead, there were certainly, what, four more goals in the game that just all happened to be for the Canucks. You know, we come back and we go, okay, well, in an alternative universe, in this you know alternative day, does this happen? Does that happen? Now, the Canucks are, you know, one of the last four straight games here as massive underdogs to the Leafs. And in every single time, the model said to bet on the Canucks. But again, that goes against the narratives that we create. And so on the flip side, Detroit plays Dallas and they play them closely. We talked about it yesterday, a toe save away from winning the game in the shootout. And so you come back to the well with Dallas, excuse me, with Detroit at Dallas. And again, uh, you know, we're looking for the goaltending. What's the situation here? Bernier, he's in and Grice is out. And I don't know if they had some sort of body swap situation, like a full on freaky Friday. Was Jamie Lee Curtis involved? I don't know. But now Bernier is the guy who can't make a save. And he gives up two goals almost immediately in the game. And now it's just a total snowball fest here, right? Because that's not what Detroit's skill is. That's not what their game plan is. Their game plan isn't, okay, let's play a high-scoring shootout type of game. Let's try to keep this thing as an under type of game, right? They're going to win more unders than they're going to win on overs. And it ends up being Detroit 1.74 expected goals, 4 to 1.6 for Dallas. So not a massive discrepancy. 8 to 9 when it comes to the high danger chances, but Dallas converts on 4 of their high danger chances, right? 4 out of 9, 44%. That is quite a bit higher than the average uh, in the league, which is around 14% uh, of a conversion rate. And, you know, the expected goals for in the first period, 0.79 to 0.58 for Dallas in the first. So again, not a massive discrepancy for what they were creating, right? With just a 0.2 differential in the first period. Well, the game's 3-0 after the first period. Because again, the pucks are just going in the net and that's going to happen. But if you're getting a plus 200 type team and they're playing relatively evenly, even in the first period where they get blown out 3 nothing. You know, that's a bet that we would make again. Unfortunately, it doesn't fall our way. And so we end up there sitting there watching this game or keep an eye on it, keeping an eye on this game and just holding the bag here while, uh, you know, Detroit doesn't get the goaltending that we would have hoped for out of Bernier. And when it comes to Bernier versus Grice, it's very similar to uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs type situation, right? Where again, you're looking at the goaltending. We all, you know, they sign Grice, they sort of reluctantly have Bernier on the team, they're hoping to maybe trade him at some point if he plays well enough, and sure enough, he plays really well, and Grice is terrible, but the short sample size of the start of the season. Now, when we're in it, when we're living through it, we have to respect current form, but at the same time, like, the un you, know, you have to have an understanding that this could totally flip. Like, before the season started, we would take Grice over Bernier every single time. And so, again, maybe Grice just had a bad month, bad six weeks, you know, battle an injury potentially right 
same thing. Bernier, he's playing really well. He gets injured. Is he back? Is he out of form? All of the, these sorts of things. And now all of a sudden, he's the guy that we can't trust. And it's because all of these goaltenders are kind of the same. There's just different degrees uh, of form. You know, how hot are they on any given uh, period of time? And it just so happens right now that Grice is the better goaltender than Bernier, which again is a lot different than it was about a month ago. So Detroit ends up losing, you know, again, probably deserve better, but we'll never know because obviously the game uh, script, if you will, was altered by the fact that Dallas got those early goals. Like, was this, you know, did Detroit get the advantage in expected goals for because they played a you know stronger game the rest of the way because Dallas had a lead that they could sit back and just sort of ride out to victory, right? Again, we'll never know, but uh, it was over sort of before it started. Speaking over before it started, same thing with the Columbus Blue Jackets, right? Again, we talked about Spencer Knight, 20-year-old goaltender getting his first start. You know, didn't really want to bet, um, you know, fully on the Columbus Blue Jackets. At this point, that team is dead in the water. Um, Tortorella is clearly going to be fired, um, if not before the end of the season, but certainly by the end of the season. Um, so that's going to be a throw the metrics, throw the mo model out the window. Um, you know, for the rest of the year, we cannot be betting on the Columbus Blue Jackets because I could have been in net um, for Spencer Spencer Knight and still won that game. 2.67 to 1.47 for Florida, 11 to 3 in the high danger chances. They convert three of the 11, which again, obviously above average, you know, you'd sort of expect, uh, expect sort of one to two um, when you're getting high, that many high danger chances and just three high danger chances for Columbus. So again, Florida takes a big lead. Columbus doesn't have the gumption, if you will, to, you know, sort of fight back in the same way that at least Detroit did. So that's the difference fundamentally between Detroit and Columbus going forward, basically an effort level here. And that's not all that surprising given the coaching, given the team makeup and all of that sort of thing when it comes to those two teams. Then finally, and this was supposed to be the lead because it was by far the most interesting game going into the night. Um, should have been and it fundamentally was a really interesting game fights hits just general you know uh, disagreements on the ice that sort of thing and that's Carolina and Tampa Bay and you know as much as you know Tampa Bay wins the game in overtime they were the better team uh, on Monday night Tuesday sort of mirrors the night before so you know the night before Tampa Bay had the advantage in the expected goals for 2.22 to 1.39 Carolina this time has a 1.75 to 1.11. So if you take those all together and you treat these two games back to back as though they were all just 120 minutes. Now I know there was an overtime in there, but again, that's three on three, who cares? Uh, you take these 120 minutes of hockey and you sort of jam them all together as this sample size. You've got, you know, each team expected goals for, you know, a little bit higher than three, you know, three and a third, essentially, within sort of percentage points of each other, essentially a 50-50 expected goal share. The high danger chances, 16 for one side, 15 for the other, uh, and conversions on those high danger chances was were 2-2 two, two over the course of 120 minutes. So again, while these two teams, Tampa Bay, played much better on Monday, Carolina plays much better on Tuesday, fundamentally, these teams are pretty similar, which of course was, um, you know, shown in the line, you know, with Tampa Bay being a short favorite, 
um, sort of flickered on and off from Carolina, you know, plus 105 to minus 105 throughout the day as we were trying to figure out the goaltender. And that's, again, yet another thing that we need to talk about when it comes to betting on hockey in the regular season. Because, again, playoffs, we'll know who the goaltenders are, right? Peter Mrazek is going to play every time, and Andre Vasilevsky is going to play every time. But in this case, we don't know. What's the situation? Vasilevsky hasn't started a back-to-back game all season long. The expectation is that it's Curtis McElhaney. But, again, as as we talked about on the podcast, is Tampa Bay willing to play a relatively important game with Curtis McElhaney in net? We got our answer, and we got our answer essentially 15 minutes before puck drop, as everybody had assumed Curtis McElhaney was going to play again because Vasilevsky hadn't done a back-to-back yet this season, and sure enough, Vasilevsky's in there. And so, um, you know, you go, okay, we're now dealing with Vasilevsky, we have the over, we have Carolina in sort of no way is that ideal for us Uh, our boy Ned was in net for Carolina which is what our expectation was looks like maybe James Reimer has probably potentially seen um, his last bit of action but again you never know especially once we get down into the last couple of the games in the regular season if they don't matter much maybe he ends up getting another start but it seems clear that uh, uh, our boy Ned is uh, is the backup goaltender for Carolina and the numbers back that up statistically he has been better this season to James Reimer which again gives you kind of more credit when you're talking about Carolina as this team that evaluates numbers, evaluates the analytics, just, just doesn't go with, oh, he's the veteran goaltender, blah, 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 right? They've they've tried, you know, Ned out, and here he is, right? He has shown that he is better. And so you're sitting there and you're going, okay, Vasilevsky's in, like over, whatever, but he wasn't the sort of saving grace for the under, right? If you'd bet the Carolina team total over, thinking that, uh McElhaney was going to be a net you would have cashed that relatively easy over two and a half that gets cashed in in the second period and you're sitting pretty the issue was Tampa Bay not being able to score on net that was the issue and this over died essentially in the first period as the teams combined for combined for 1.1 expected goals in the first period and they got zero Right? So the expectation was they would score one, and they got zero. Well, the game ended up four to one, so obviously right there, you're looking, you're going, okay, probably should have been a goal at some point in that first period, and there wasn't, and that's the difference between this game being five or six. But later on in the game, it's a second straight night where the Lightning had a golden opportunity to put the over in play. The game's three to one for Carolina, uh, and our boy Ned makes a big save in the slot one-timer. He was even looking behind him. Did I even save that? Did I not? And that would have made it 3-2, which, again, doesn't change the script in the game, right? Tampa Bay would have still pulled their goaltender. Theoretically, Carolina would have still gotten the empty netter that they ended up to get. So instead of the game being 4-1, the game would have been 4-2. And again, that's the difference in um, betting these totals. Now, from an expected goals for standpoint, it was the lowest Um, Second lowest of their eight games that they've played this season. Um, But I think, again, not all chances being created equal, right? We saw uh, crossbars. I believe that was in the first period. There was a a golden opportunity on a crossbar, a couple of sort of in-alone type situations as well. So more than enough opportunity for this game to go over. But again, stuff happens. Speaking of stuff happens from the bad beat category, Pittsburgh and New Jersey. We don't talk a ton about the East or West, if at all. But we have to mention this one because it's a thoughts and prayers situation. Uh, we don't, you know, bad beats in hockey, right? Like whether it's just talking about that, you know, the over-under. And a lot of this stuff comes down to just hockey being hockey. Is there a save that's going to be made versus not being made? You know, it takes a lot for there to be a bad beat in hockey. And 
you know, there takes a ton to be a bad beat when we're talking about the puck line. And is this a lesson? Maybe, you know, I think in general, minus one and a half is a sucker bet when it comes to the NHL, right? Because again, you just assume, okay, empty net goal, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't work out that way. And Pittsburgh takes a 6-0 lead through two periods. And for the first time in the history of the NHL, a team gets outscored by five goals in the third period and doesn't lose the game as New Jersey scores six times to Pittsburgh's one in the third period. Um, the game gets to you know 6-3, to three, then 7-3, to three, and then to 7-6 to six, uh, late in the game as the Devils just pour in a bunch of goals in the third period. And Pittsburgh doesn't get the empty net goal late. They, you know, get sort of caught from behind or almost caught from behind and win the game seven to six. So again, if you're betting the minus one and a half, our thoughts and prayers are to you. But again, you should probably steer clear of minus one and a half puck lines. Plus one and a half puck lines, especially in the playoffs, completely different story. But minus one and a half, you're just asking for something negative to happen for you. And whether that's, you know, just a bad bet in general when it comes to betting the Toronto Maple Leafs at minus one and a half or a bad beat when it comes to betting Pittsburgh minus one and a half steer clear from the minus one and a halfs out there gang as for tonight Nashville and Chicago uh this is interesting for the reasons of pricing and the Predators and the Blackhawks are playing I think four straight games uh, against each other if not just three and Nashville was at home the other night. They opened minus 135. Um, didn't talk a ton about this game because there was no value in the line, right? It was what my model would make it uh, out to be. It ends up moving up to minus 145. Again, no value um, even on Chicago on the road. And now the venue changes here, right? It moves from Nashville being at home to now Chicago being at home. But the opening line is the same. And I don't know that we've seen that this year where, you know, team goes and has the same opening money line price. So Nashville's minus 135 right now. And so now we're obviously you go, okay, well, if there's if we've changed the venue here, there's got to be some value at some point. And the line was so right on when it came to the game in Nashville. There is a tiny bit of value, but we're not quite there with Chicago just yet. So Chicago at plus 115 right now is about 2.7% worth of value. We like to have over 3%. So what we're going to need is we're going to need this number to get to plus 120 or plus 125 a little bit more comfortably um, in order to back Chicago at home here. So look for a plus 125 if you can get it in order to back Chicago here. But just a really interesting concept that you know, again, whether it's because Nashville won the game at home and, you know, that sort of gave credence to Nashville from a market value standpoint. But if you look at the underlying metrics, this game was very evenly played from an expected goals four or five on five standpoint, a lot better, um, looked a lot better for Chicago than the five two, I believe was the score. Um, you know, score looks, you know, obviously score looks like a blowout, but it wasn't that case and so maybe that's what where the value comes when it comes to Chicago being the home team here and being the same price as they were on the road earlier on in the week then there's Montreal and Edmonton and this one is probably the more interesting of the two games because there's a lot to sort of talk about here and the fundamental question you have to ask yourself is well there's two of them one are we too late when it comes to this price and I'll talk about why what that means in a second but fundamentally, what teams are we going to get? And I wrote a preview for the Action Network, which is, again, not unlike the Super League uh, conversation with Ted. 
kind of obsolete because of what's happened with the line. And so this line opens minus 120 last night. And at that point, we're talking in the preview about the concept of scheduling and rest and, you know, the thing that has got us, again, maybe narratively, we have to sort of um, check ourselves a little bit here. But it's the thing that's won us a couple of games here with the Oilers over the last week, right? We were on the uh, Oilers against the Jets on Saturday and on Montreal on Monday, or excuse me, on Edmonton against Montreal on Monday. And, you know, of course, that starts to, you know, everybody sort of gets on the bandwagon here, right? It's like, oh, Montreal's tired. Everybody sort of jumps into the pool here. And now this line moves up to minus 145. And, you know, Montreal starts the season as this great metrics team. They fire the coach and because they wanted more out of the metrics, ironically. And the metrics went down. Right, they started giving up more high, more high danger chances. They started creating less high danger chances, and the metrics have slowly fallen apart to the point where, over the course of the last eight games, they're like a minus, uh, I think minus fifteen percent, below average. Like not great. And so now they've gone from, you know, I think we talked earlier in the season about them being 20% above average because again they were being so stingy when it comes to five on five play, and now they're all. You know, they've dropped themselves all the way down to about 3% above average. Meanwhile, Edmonton, by the way, dead even. Dead even at even strength, right? Obviously, you know that their advantage comes from special teams, Connor McDavid's general brilliance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so if you take the full season numbers here, Edmonton is a slight favorite at home. And the expected, you know, true value of minus 105 plus 105, right? So again, we're talking very close to 50% here. But again, the line opens minus 120. And you go, okay, well, if, what if we value, you know, if, if we're evaluating Montreal by the full season, you know, because of their lack of consistency. And listen, there's been teams that have sort of started the season, first 10 games at 5% below average, 5% above average, and just kind of stayed there. Montreal is not that team. So do we still, how much do we weight the early season element versus what's happened since? And so if we just took what happened since, you know, instead of minus 105 for Edmonton, it creeps up, right? It creeps up into the minus 110, minus 115, which is why the opening number of minus 120 is about right is about expectation when you factor in you know sports books taking juice and all of that sort of thing right and so at minus 120 that win probability is converted to 54 and a half percent so to be profitable in betting a minus 120 that team needs to win 55 percent or more long term for you to be profitable well we then look at the schedule and again that's what we've talked about Toronto, you know, seven in their last 11 against Ottawa, eight of their last 13, uh, eight games in their last 13 days against Edmonton. So now we get into nine in their last 15. And by the way, it's not getting any better, right? They go to Calgary next. Um, they get, you know, travel day off. They get a road day off. Um, is a road day off more important here to for them to catch, you know, wind, you know, to get under, get their legs under them? You know, we'll see. But the number moves up to minus 145. That's the current price right now. And so when we're talking about are we too late, the answer is, I mean, yeah, we are, right? We missed out on minus 120 yesterday, and now it's minus 145. And the difference there is from 54.5% win probability to 59.2%. If it gets to minus 150, as you know, that's an even 60% uh, win probability. So, you know, essentially, people piling in here, seeing this, uh, you know, going with this concept of Montreal being this tired team, which again, not saying they're not, but, you know, that's certainly how I think we want to bet on Edmonton coming back in the third period on Monday. But 
what does that mean from a win probability sample? Again, the market says 5%. And so, you know, we talked about this with the back-to-backs and the travel, the travel back-to-backs, right? The dreaded schedule spot. That's not this. This is more just an accumulation um, of, you know, exhaustion over the course of this season. And the market's decided this is about, you know, this is worth about 5% to the price, maybe even a little bit higher, depending on sort of where you stand on whether Edmonton should be minus 105, whether they should be minus 115, right? There's a bit of a gray area there, but this whole thing is a gray area because one of these two teams is going to win this game. And that, you know, that better is going to be proven right on either side. And of course, there's a case to be made for either side, which I think is what's interesting, right? Because Edmonton, the case is, okay, well, I don't think 5% is enough for a win probability adjustment. I think Edmonton's going to win this game, blah, 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 right? And so now you bet Edmonton at kind of any number, minus 145, minus 150, maybe you got them at minus 120 last night, which would be a great bet. You have 25 cents of line value. You have a 5% adjustment in line value that would be a really good bet no matter what happens right so again you know not to sort of whatever this is going to sound the way it's going to sound but like in the preview i recommend a bet on edmonton at minus 120. that's still a good bet no matter what happens tonight now it goes to minus 145 and i can't recommend that bet anymore in fact think about it this way if only there was an example of a situation where due to extenuating circumstances, we all assumed one team would be dead tired and the other team would just win almost by default, regardless of price. Can you think of any situations where that might have happened recently? In Vancouver, by chance? And so now Montreal's sitting here at a plus 125 price. And if we're looking just at the model, which again, doesn't care about COVID, it doesn't care about your rest, it doesn't care about you know who's tired and who's not tired, plus 125 for Montreal right now is a 3% edge versus even sort of the most aggressive you know projection, right? Plus 125 is 44.5%. We just talked about how the, you know it should be 47.5% or 52.5% for um, Edmonton. And so we fight here, right? We fight this internal battle because we've had confirmation with two wins with Edmonton against the Jets and then against Montreal on Monday. And that, okay, if we keep riding Edmonton as this fresh team, by the way, they're going into another stretch of like four or five days off. So this is kind of this little subset of their season where they go, if we could just get all six of these points against teams that are in the mix in the playoff race, you know, obviously two games against Montreal and one against Winnipeg, if we get all six of these and sort of get recharged again, because, you know, it's going to hit from a schedule standpoint, if you have this much time off, it's going to hit and it's going to hit Edmonton at the end of the season. So if they can bank these six points, right? Like, so there's going to be a focus with Edmonton. So again, we're building narratives here, right? They're going to be focused with this last game before a little break that they have. They've got the, you know, physical advantage. We saw Montreal fall apart in the third period. But if you look at it from Montreal's standpoint, right? They had travel day the day before. They had two games back to back the day before that. Blah, 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 right? So we're building all these narratives. So the narrative says Edmonton, which is why this number goes creeping up, up and up and up. Who knows? Does it go to minus 150? Does it go above minus 150, right? But we're creating a bias in the confirmation of this working for us, right? So again, that doesn't sound like much. Uh, obviously, the the uh, recommendation in the preview was minus 120 for Edmonton. Again, I still stand by that as a really good price. Obviously, that's the case. And that's what we mean by sort of making these bets and then just sitting back and going like, 
all right, well, let's see what happens. Because if we make a bet on mi minus 120, but we're also making a bet up Montreal plus 125, right? We end up sort of breaking even. And that's kind of the point. That's the synthetic money lines that are being created, you know, over time. And so if we had just bet minus 120, just kind of thinking that Edmonton was going to get a ton of money, a ton of action, and the price was going to go up, you know, we could come back on Montreal at plus 125, right? No book is offering minus 120 and plus 125, in, you know, at the same minute. But over the course of just, what, 12, 14 hours here, we've seen a move in this price that creates this idea that, to be honest, you know, both numbers are good. Montreal plus 125, good. Edmonton minus 120. And I understand that that's sort of a difficult concept for people to kind of wrap their head around because there's going to be a winner or a loser. And so I could sit here, you know, I've got minus 120, you've got plus 125, one of us wins, one of us loses, and we can then go back and break down the metrics of it and how the game actually played out, but we don't know how the game's going to play out. And if the Montreal, excuse me, the Toronto and Vancouver, um, you know, pair of games, if that showed us anything is that we just don't know. And the best we can do is get the best price um, on one side, or in this case, both sides. Now, I'm not saying we should have bets on both sides, but I'm saying that both bets are really good bets. Montreal plus 125, probably going to go higher if I think, you know, to be honest with you, plus 130 might be an option too. You know, I think that's a really good bet. But if you sat here and you already had minus 120, um, that's a really good bet too. And it's hockey and it could go either way and you just want the best possible price. So that's the stuff that we have to deal with when it comes to the regular season. Can you tell I'm looking forward to the playoffs where we can get some more concrete stuff here with regards to who's going to play, what we think of these teams, you know, backing aside over the course of a series and then picking our spots game to game on where we think they're going to win these games and all of that sort of stuff, right? Like we are getting there. We're getting closer and closer, even if there's snow on the ground um, outside. Uh, tomorrow's show will be the NFL draft preview show, how to beat the draft. Um, you know, it's something that bookmakers, they hate putting these numbers up um, because they do get beat. It is possible to beat them. Um, that being said, you can get yourself into trouble. So we we're going to have strategies, traps to avoid. And, you know, just talk about the concept of value in an event that isn't a sport. Per usual, you can subscribe, rate and review and share the podcast. And I would appreciate that a great deal. Follow along the underscore window underscore podcast at BetSperts and at MRUS Authentic on Twitter and the Action Network. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.